Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we can spend together. How grateful we are to be able to trust together. We are here, Lord, not just to be personal with us, but because we know there are hidden souls out there. We want to know how to reach them. We want to know how to have a conversation. We want to know how to, how to have uh, the tools for, for relieving suffering, mental, physical, and spiritual. So I pray that you do with Brother David as he shares today, be with us as we listen and learn and, and learn how to apply the things that we are able to Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, Vicki, thank you for the gracious introduction. It's good to be with each of you in Michigan. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. It was not all that long ago when we were facing a serious problem. And it may be a problem that you're facing in your churches. I was working at the time for Weimar Institute and we were impacting people with the powerful, life-changing health message that God has entrusted our church with. And yet, many of those people were not um, showing all that great a spiritual interest in the full message that God had given us. And so we were praying about how to connect with some of the people right in our own backyard as to how to transition them from health topics to spiritual topics. Now, you know how it is when you're involved in health ministry at your local church. Many of you are very actively engaged in that, in that line of ministry. And you're praying, you're asking God for direction. And don't ask me sometimes how the Lord connects all the dots or why He does things the way He does. But as we were praying about it, I was impressed that God wanted us to do a series on healing insights from the Gospel of Mark. Now, I know some people kind of scratch their heads. They say, the Gospel of Mark. But, I mean, Luke was the physician. You know, if you're a physician, you're obviously going to do a series. You're going to do a series based on the Gospels. You would do it on the life of Luke, the physician. But, no, for some reason, God impressed us to do a series on the Gospel of Mark. And some four or five years later now, we've done this series in a number of, uh, of churches. It's been professionally recorded. We've got eight 30-minute presentations that are designed to be used for discussions in church, church settings. So if your church has been doing health meetings, you can invite people to a health series, another health series. You just had a, you know, a series on addictions, and you maybe had one, a cooking class, and you're saying, well, what can we invite these people to that's more spiritual? But yet, their interest is with what? With health. So that's what we did. And I remember one of the folks who came, and being a physician, we're always very cognizant of confidentiality. And I'm sure if I had asked this fellow before coming, he would have given me permission to use his name, but we'll just call him uh, Ralph, okay? And so Ralph was actually one of our patients at Weimar, and he got the invitation about us offering this Healing Insights series, this health series, once a week, and he came. And what was exciting about Ralph is he had never opened the Bible before. And so as we're reading through these stories, I mean, he's asked, the way it was set up and the way we encourage churches to do it, you show a 30-minute video, and then you have a 30-minute discussion group. And we had probably 50 people there, so we were doing the presentations live. This was before it was recorded. And then what we did is we actually had small breakout sessions, and people were leading these discussions. And so what actually happened during those discussions is you'd hear these very sincere remarks 
Like when uh, Jesus spat and used the spittle as part of the vehicle, the tangible vehicle that he was using to heal the man. Of course, it had no healing efficacy in the spittle, but he asked this honest question. Ralph did, well, is that how Jesus did all his miracles? Did he always spit before healing people? Well, uh, I'm actually hoping to see Ralph in a week. We're doing a series at the Adventist church he's been attending. I don't know if he's a baptized member there, but I know he and his wife attend regularly. And that was their introduction to to Bible study. But it was through a health series. So uh, what I'm going to do in this series, because Jesus' foundation, his ministry is the foundation for our health ministry. So as we go through a number of different health topics this week, I'm going to throw in some illustrations that we used in this series on the Gospel of Mark. And if some of you are interested in picking up the series, we actually do have them here in the Adventist Book Center. And all the materials we produce are half price here. So I, I'll be honest with you, Vicki, and, and you, you know, having developed health materials over the years, probably have the same feeling. Whenever I go to churches, whenever I speak at seminars, we always try to reduce all the pricing on, on our resources. And it's always a little disappointing to come home, and then people who are just in that venue, they go on our website, and they buy the stuff for twice as much, and they pay shipping and handling, and if they're in California, they may even pay tax. I said, well, why didn't they just buy it when they were there, you know, at the camp meeting? So, so take advantage of what we, what we have here. Vicki? And we have a whole table at the ABC just with your stuff on it. Okay, so. okay. You yeah. make me do it, though. Okay. <laughs> Oh, you've got some of the stuff in the back of the room? Okay, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit from that perspective, give you an illustration from the Gospel of Mark as we get into some of the topics. One of my favorite aspects of health ministry, and I always try to share this when I'm doing a seminar in a church, is the science dealing with relationships and health. You see, today there is so much health information out there, people could logically ask the question, why should I go to your little church and listen to the local physician or the local health educator or Dr. DeRose on DVD or whatever you're using? Why should I go there when I can watch the experts from Harvard and Stanford right on the Discovery Channel? Right? Why should I do that? Well, here is one of the key reasons. And when I'm doing a seminar in a church, I tell people, look around you. You've got community folks and church members. I say, look around you, because one of the greatest resources you have is not the information, as valuable as that is, but it's the other people here. And I want to encourage you to come back to this very same venue, because you've got a group of people who want to go on a journey with you to improve their health. This is actually data from Harvard. This is from the Nurses Health Study. Harvard has been conducting this for years, following both nurses, and they also have a uh, male health professional study. In this particular study, though, looking at breast cancer, they obviously were focused on the women. Not that men can't get breast cancer, but it's extremely unusual. Nearly 3,000 women in the nurses' health study were identified as having developed breast cancer as they're following them over time. This particular study looked at a window of time, a decade between 1992 and 2002. And what they assessed, in addition to a host of other factors, was their level of social support. 
as they looked at these women over this decade, they found something remarkable. When they looked at their likelihood of dying from that breast cancer, if the women were socially isolated, as illustrated by that blue bar, they had over double the likelihood of dying during that decade as the women who were more socially connected. And there was no difference in the stage of the cancers between these women. So they looked identical if you looked at them on paper, except for their social connectedness. So they're controlling for what we call, would say, our other confounding variables or other things that may mess up the relationships. What was even more remarkable is if you looked at all causes of mortality, not just cancer, again, there was this striking survival benefit in those women who were the most socially integrated. This is just one example of many studies that tell us one of the powerful things that happen in community is enhanced physical health. And so you can unashamedly say, oh yeah, you can watch someone on television, but if you come to our church, we're going to actually, there's going to be people going through this with you, and you're going to have support. And we've got a group of people that really care about our community. That's why we're doing this program. And so this is really something that you bring to your community that you don't have to apologize. Someone could say, but, you know, but that doctor said something, and you know, Dr. Oz said this, though. And you could say, well, you know, when Dr. Oz comes to the community, I'm going to be there right with you. But right now, we've got to take advantage of what we've got. And, uh, and, the, and God will use that powerfully. Well, I, I so enjoyed uh, Pastor Boonstra's meeting last night, and I decided to throw this in because as I read through the Gospel of Mark, and by the way, we go through the whole Gospel in that uh, eight-week series. It's 16 chapters in Mark, and if you do the math, that comes out to about two chapters a week. Some of you would say, well, it's not about Dr. DeRose, it's exactly two chapters a week. We don't follow it that rigidly. But the point is, as we're going through Mark's gospel, we look a lot at the writer, the gospel writer. Who was Mark? Any of you remember who Mark was? Well, Mark was probably Jewish. Uh, Luke was a Gentile, no question about that. But uh, Mark, the early church met in Mark's home. If you read about Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison, they were praying for Peter in Mark's home. It was his mother's house. That's the way the, uh, the writer of Acts, Luke, incidentally, wrote. But um, Mark went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. He bailed on the missionary team. And uh, in Acts 15, as that chapter is concluding after the Jerusalem Council, the contention became so heated between Paul and Barnabas over the future of Mark that those two powerful missionaries separated. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them on their second missionary journey, and Paul didn't. By the way, Barnabas and Mark were actually related. If you study through the biblical references, you'll learn that. But why I tell you that is Mark was the cause of division in the early church. And yet, as you read through Paul's letters and Peter's letters, you see that Mark was socially redeemed. And so as we read through Mark's gospel, we see Jesus' life story through the perspective of someone who suffered social disconnection from the people around him, and yet who was socially redeemed. Mark's gospel actually really begins with that perspective and ends with it, and here's why I resonated with 
with Sean's sharing last night because as Mark is closing his gospel, he shares a detail that none of the other gospel writers include. And this is what uh, is recorded in Mark chapter 16, Mark's closing chapter after the resurrection of Jesus. This message is given to the women. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. What is the significance of this verse? Yeah, the disciples and Peter. Peter at this point, as uh, Pastor Boonstra drew out last night, did not feel he was one of the disciples. He didn't feel worthy. And so Jesus gives a special message to Peter. Mark's the only one who recorded it. Mark actually was especially associated with Peter. Peter called him his own son. You can read about that in Peter's letters. But so Mark shares this glimpse into Peter's life about a God who reaches us right where we're at, no matter what our past is. And this is a healing message. And so I am so excited as we compare the biblical principles with the principles in medical science, and that's one of the things that we're going to do by God's grace in this series, and we'll share some different windows like this as we go along. Let me just give you one other illustration, because I'm trying to give you some things that set the tone for our whole five days together. So the gospel not only gives us this illustration of God reaching out to Peter, someone who felt unworthy of being a disciple, but the story of Jesus, as recorded by Mark, also records perhaps the most important rendition of the Great Commission. I say perhaps the most important. Most of us quote Matthew 28 when we refer to the Great Commission, right? But when Mark is recording another occurrence where Jesus gives this final parting commission for the church, he includes something that you don't find in Matthew chapter 28. Look at how it's put in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then Mark includes some signs that will follow those who believe. He says they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now why I find this so significant is every time that Jesus commissioned people to be involved in ministry, it was not just teaching and preaching that were included. Every time he gave a commissioning message, it included what else? Healing, that's right. So read about the 12 being sent out. Read about the 70 that Jesus sent out during his ministry. And they were not only called to teach and to preach, but also to heal. And so it is the Great Commission. When we read it in Matthew 28, you may think, no, that's over. No, when Jesus called us to teach all things and to minister as Jesus did implicitly in, and explicitly in Mark 16, implicitly in Matthew 28, Jesus was calling us to be involved in health ministry. So I just want to tell you, those of you that are interested in health ministry, this is something that God has put his seal of approval on. Seal of approval. So how do you share the healing message of Jesus? How do you do it? Do you struggle with that? Probably the single most powerful thing you can do is to live the health message. Is to just live it yourself. 
Now, I know there's a danger in mentioning this because all of you have what I have, and that is genetics that were given to you by your parents. How many of you had any choice in that? Now, they are trying to do some things where they can actually change certain genetic traits. You've heard about epigenetics. There's a variety of things going on in that area. But really, we're dealt a genetic hand that, by and large, we can't change, even though we can change how those genes are expressed. So some of you here today, and I'll be very frank with you, because I've worked in health ministry in many churches, I've pastored, I've I know what kind of things run through people's minds. Some of you say, Dr. DeRose, I would just be involved in health ministry if I didn't weigh so much. Now, how many of you notice where my eyes are? You know, they normally teach you to keep good eye contact with your audience when you're speaking. But when I speak about the topic of weighing too much, I'm looking at the ground. Because if I looked up at any of you, some of you would think I'm speaking directly to you no matter how little you weigh. Okay? So now that I'm done with that point, I can look at all of you. But here's my point. There's all kinds of ways that we disqualify ourselves from being involved in health ministry. God doesn't care what you weigh. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God doesn't, underst- God doesn't care what your genetics are. Those don't tie his hands from being able to work through you. God doesn't care what your early life history is. We'll talk about it. When we speak about hypertension, our final, final afternoon together, I'm going to share with you some of the data, the very exciting research data on things that predispose us to hypertension. And it's true with diabetes, true with many conditions, true with weight. Many of the things that predispose you to health problems in adulthood, do you know where they start? They start in the mother's womb. What your mother was experiencing during her pregnancy affects you today. So here's the point. In our culture, it's very easy to point fingers, and we can even point some pretty big fingers at ourselves when we're looking in the mirrors, right? The the bottom line is none of us are ever going to have perfect health and live forever in this world, in these bodies. You understand what I'm saying? But if you're following light when it comes to healthful living, God is giving you a testimony that can speak to other people. And I mentioned the example of weight. Um, I did weigh quite a bit more than I do now before God got my attention with a a comprehensive gospel mission. I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, I, but I didn't, I wasn't obese. Some of you that really struggle with weight, God can use that experience to be an encouragement to other people where I don't have credibility. They say, Dr. DeRose, you never weighed 300 pounds. And what would I have to say? I'd have to say, you're right. But if you weighed 300 and you're down to 250, I mean, people may still think you're way too heavy. But uh, you, you, ha- you have a story of success to share. Are you following along with me? So don't disqualify yourself because you have certain illnesses or certain things have happened to you. Just get serious about letting the Holy Spirit guide you and then share your story. Maybe I'll tell you later in the week together, I would not be here today. I never gave any health lectures before God convicted me that I needed to change the way I was living. And uh, I was actually first invited to give a health talk in a church by a woman who said to me, Dr. DeRose, I was a physician at the time, she said, you need to give a nutrition series at our church. And I said, why is that? And she said, we've been watching how you eat at the fellowship meals, and you need to give a lecture here at the church. 
Well, that's a whole other story. But the point was, I wasn't trying to eat in a certain way to get a speaking invitation. I had never given a health talk before. Well, what we're going to see as we go through this series, five different topics, some insights into Mark's gospel, but especially focusing on the uh, science and some of the things we can do to have better health. Well, with that background, we want to launch now into our topic for today. And it has to do with a topic we often don't speak about when it comes to healthful living and the impact of healthful living. And it has to do with infectious diseases. Natural strategies can actually decrease your risk of infectious illness. Well, during the fall of 2014, less than two years ago, a contagion was sweeping the United States. No question. You, you couldn't go far. Turn on the radio, the television, look at the latest internet feed, trending stories, and this was right at the top of the list, this contagious condition. What was it? Yeah, some of you are saying Ebola, but the e Ebola disease was not sweeping in the United States, but you're exactly on the right track. It was fear of Ebola, okay? That was the epidemic that was sweeping our country. And so as I was looking at what was happening in our country, and as I was looking at the medical research literature, even on Ebola, I was shocked because there was something in the scientific research that nobody was talking about. And, uh, and I was impressed. The Lord wanted us to get a book out quickly on the topic, and we put together this book called Evading Ebola, tried to get it out there in a very timely fashion while people were still concerned about this illness. By the way, we have this book here. And uh, we're giving it away free to anyone who buys uh, $50 worth of our DVDs and other resources. So if you want to get a free copy of Evading Ebola, it's not just about Ebola. It's about keeping free from infectious diseases. And I'll, I'll show you that as we spend some time together. But here's the, the point. is we'll, we'll look at some of this very interesting research on Ebola, but we're going to translate it into other infectious diseases because there are many more lethal conditions they're not even considered illnesses. We, they're not even on people's radar screens, and we're going to talk about that, and we do have this uh, on DVD as well. So every lecture that I'll give you this week is just a glimpse of something we have a longer mini-series on. So we have a couple hours on this topic, natural strategies for infectious diseases, so that's available uh, here. Okay, so let's talk some about infectious diseases, and then I'll tell you some of the interesting data on Ebola and why it's relevant to other conditions that are closer to home. So let's talk about something that every one of us has experienced, and that's the common cold. Now, a lot of people say, well, the common cold, who's, who really cares about that? Well, sure, you know, you cannot feel well, maybe runny nose, maybe you're sneezing, maybe you don't feel quite as well, but what's the big deal? Well, actually, the common cold is uh, not uh, a homogenous group of illnesses, really, even though we, what we call a cold may look very similar when we've had it from one year or another. There are some 200 different viruses that cause what we call the common cold. And you can see here staggering results of illness with the average child having six to ten colds a year. If you're uh, working with children, my uh, daughter, our oldest daughter, is uh, studying to be a teacher, and uh, she's been working in the, in, in the schools with first and second graders for the last couple of years. 
And uh, she's always, you know, trying to dodge those infectious disease bullets that the children are so lovingly sharing with her. And uh, as we get older, our risk of infectious illnesses like colds decrease. Now, I know there might be none of you in this actual category here, but at one, you know, one point in time, all of us will be in that elderly category. And where, where that starts, we'll leave for your imagination to, uh, to decide. But the point is, we're all at significant risk of exposure when it comes to colds. You say, well, so what's the big deal? Well, if you look at the list of some of the viruses that cause the common cold, some of them really do often typically cause nothing serious at all. But there are some of these viruses, like the adenoviruses, that actually can cause some serious symptoms. Now, it is true, even the common cold in people at high risk, like those with asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, it can tip the balance. And uh, when I was doing more uh, acute care medicine in a hospital setting, I can remember intubating people, putting tubes down into their lungs to get to help them breathe because they had emphysema and then got a cold. But for most of you, that may not be a huge risk. But even if you don't have any underlying illnesses, some of these viruses can cause serious problems. Now, this is the Centers for Disease Control speaking about adenoviruses. And they're telling us that these viruses, yes, they can cause the common cold, but they can also cause pneumonia, a viral pneumonia. They can cause neurological disease. And so really bad things can happen, fortunately, not often, with some of these infectious diseases that we're living around all the time. And as far as the impact on our lives, there's much more greater risk that we'd be exposed to something like this than Ebola. Now, influenza, the flu. Now, people were, people were looking for a vaccine. And by the way, there is a vaccine that, that's in um, trials now, I understand, for Ebola. And you know, when we were in the height of this concern back a couple of years ago, people were very concerned. Would, would someone just come out with a vaccine so we could get that vaccine? But you know, I find in many circles with diseases that we don't think are as worrisome or we're more familiar with, we, we, uh, not only do we not um, value the vaccines, there's a lot of people that are out there spreading a lot of what I would say is misinformation about how evil vaccines are. In fact, someone, some Adventist, was trying to convince me. Well, they weren't really trying to convince me. They were just sharing their belief because there's no way you could convince me of this. They were trying to convince me that these, uh, these vaccines had microchips in them and that they were injecting people with them so they could track you in the time of trouble. Now, the problem was I was in a clinic at the time where they had these multi-dose vials for the vaccines. I was trying to figure out, well, how did the nurse know to draw up one of the chips each time she was drawing up the vaccine, especially because she didn't know the chips were there? Okay? Well, the, the, the simple point is, yes, there are concerns with vaccines. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about those some. But there's also benefits to vaccines, and many lives have been saved by vaccines. If you think this is a, a slam-dunk topic, it's all evil, you say, but Dr. DeRose, you didn't see that, that show I saw on the Adventist channel where they said this is all, you know, of Satan. And um, Do you know, if you read Second Selected Messages, Ellen White 
was vaccinated and encouraged her staff to be vaccinated for smallpox in her day. Yeah, I think it's somewhere around, oh boy, I didn't check this before I came, somewhere around maybe page 300 in Second Selected Messages. One of you can check that, you know, can be the fact checker, and you can tell me how far off I was. But, uh, but the point was um, that uh, the, the prophetess of the Lord did not have special light that she should communicate us to stay away from vaccines like the plague. Anyway, influenza, influenza 3,000 to as many as 50,000 deaths per year in the United States alone. This is a, a true killer disease. Hydrotherapy internally and externally can make a big difference for many of these, and I'm, I'm glad that you've got people here right in this conference that are advocating some of those practices. I already gave you this illustration about Ebola. People very concerned about getting a vaccine out for that, but at the same time not so enamored with other vaccines that we know are life-saving. Well, let me ask you about this. I was uh, reading a few years ago in uh, the Wall Street Journal, and they had a whole page while our nation was on edge about Ebola. And the, the title, the big title on this page in a number of articles was The Ebola Battle. Think about that. What do you think about that language? The Ebola Battle. What did that imply? It's warfare, and who's waging the warfare? You know, Ebola is the enemy, and who's going to defend you in a war? Well, Jesus, from a Christian perspective, I'm definitely with you there, but the Wall Street Journal, this was not a, a, a biblical um, appeal here. Who were they? What was the implication behind what they were talking about? By the way, do you know what aspect of the government got very involved in the war against Ebola? The CDC, but also our military. We sent a lot of military forces to West Africa to be involved there on the front lines. They were, you know, setting up clinics and doing other things. So um, the implication, though, and as I listened to the dialogue in our country, was Ebola was this rogue enemy that, is, that had come now onto American soil in the lives of these health professionals and others that had come back from Africa, and who was going to save us? It was the American government, right? And people were upset because the government let people in. Why did you let these people? You know, we heard all that dialogue. You remember, don't you? Well, here's where I'm going, why we wrote the book. It's because of a topic that transcends Ebola and brings us right to the heart of the Seventh-day Adventist health message, which is God's health message. It's this topic of inapparent infection. Inapparent infection. We're going to talk first about eastern equine encephalitis. And uh, I find that most people have never heard of eastern equine encephalitis. This is a terrible disease, and uh, you can get it in the eastern United States. I probably should have checked to see if you have it here in Michigan. Uh, it's, uh, I would guess you probably do. It's a potentially devastating viral illness that is transmitted by mosquitoes. You can see most of the cases are on the, on the coast, east coast. You can develop headache, high fevers, chills, vomiting, but it can go on from there to cause seizures, coma, and death. If you come down with a clinical case of eastern equine encephalitis, what is the likelihood statistically that you will die? 
One in three. By the way, our um, record here in the United States with Ebola was actually better than that. So, how many of you should be afraid of eastern equine encephalitis? Yeah, yeah. On a certain level, you know, we, 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 you know, we say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm coming here to to try to get some, you know, encouraging health information. And I was already concerned about my diabetes and high blood pressure. And now this guy's trying to scare me about infectious diseases I've never even heard about. I mean, how is this supposed to help me? But this is a scary disease, and no one was talking about it. Here's why. Because most people that get eastern equine encephalitis virus infection never get sick. Never get sick. By the way, the same is true of West Nile virus. Same is true of many viral illnesses. By the way, it's also true of many cases of influenza. You become infected with the virus and you never get sick. In medical circles, we call this an inapparent illness. So you're actually infected with a germ, but you don't get sick. So as I was reading about Ebola... I learned something very interesting that to this day, I've never heard anyone really make any public noise about this. And it goes back some 20 years to Zaire, Africa. There is where Ebola Zaire, this strain that was uh, affecting the world back a couple of years ago, was identified And then in the 90s, the same strain rose its ugly head in Gabon, in Africa. And researchers there made an amazing discovery, absolutely amazing. They looked at people who had died from Ebola, and then they looked at their close contacts. In this particular study, it was describing 24 close contacts of Ebola patients. Each one of them had been directly exposed to those deadly, lethal, infectious body fluids like feces, vomit, saliva, sweat, or blood. But the amazing thing is not one of those 24 people ever got sick. Why was that? They looked. And when they published this, in one of the leading medical journals, The Lancet, they described what they found. They actually checked them. We say serologically. They checked their blood to see if any of these 24 had been infected with Ebola. And they found that roughly half of them, 11 out of the 24, had actually become infected with Ebola. But what happened? They never got sick. So now, I just want you to put yourself in my position as a physician. You know, all these people scared about Ebola. Everyone all worried. They're all wondering what the government's doing. And we're all feeling like, well, what happened if someone came back to my small town? And they'd been in Africa. You know, and it just, you know, swept through our school. And And I would say, wait a minute. It's not just that no one's talking about the inapparent illnesses. There are host factors, factors in the individual who is exposed to the infectious illness, whether it's Ebola or influenza, that can allow you to be free of the disease. And no one was saying anything about it. 
You can live in close proximity to all kinds of terrible germs and viruses, and we don't have to succumb. And the amazing thing, from a perspective of Seventh-day Adventists, is what we wrote about in the book, Evading Ebola, is it's basically God's health message. It's trying to not only keep you free from the ravages of heart disease and cancer and diabetes, but also infectious diseases. Infectious diseases. And these researchers were basically saying the same thing. It's your lifestyle. It's, it's things that early are happening to your immune system when you're exposed to this infectious illness that make the difference. Let me give you a spiritual parallel that we share in this series, Healing Insights from the Gospel of Mark. This is from Mark chapter 4. Jesus there in the parable of the sower is writing, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Now you would say, well, on a spiritual level, we're talking about the gospel having efficacy in a person's life, right? And how the cares of this earth can interfere with the power of the gospel. But I would like to say, I think there's a health implication here too. The health principles that God shares in his word, the world is trying to do what? Choke out those principles. And why is it trying to do that? Because Satan loves to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what my Bible tells me. The Apostle John put it this way, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Again, we often read these things in a spiritual context. But can you see, what does the, how many of you have seen that amazing advertising campaign for broccoli. Have you, have you seen that? Any of you? What, what, what do they try to encourage? What is the, what is the, the world? What, what kind of lusts are, is Satan trying to evoke in our minds when it comes to lifestyle? What is he trying to cultivate? Why don't we have the broccoli commercials? It's too healthy, too good. There's not a lot of, you know, not a big profit margin, right, on broccoli like there is on those things in the, in the cans and crinkly bags and stuff, right? You following along? So, so really, when, what I'm trying to help us see is the principles of God's Word have healing implications physically, not just spiritually. And so what I was encouraging people to do a couple of years ago is live an Ebola-aware lifestyle. And we would say today, regardless of what disease is being talked about in the infectious realm, live an infectious disease-aware lifestyle. And that's really the lifestyle that God really describes in His Word. Here are the two keys to avoiding infectious diseases. The first one is consistent hygiene practices. And the second broad group of strategies are things that boost your immune system. Now, I see some of you just excellent students in this classroom. Um, I guess perhaps the most excellent ones are, have the photographic memories, and they're just taking a visual picture of everything, and they'll be able to reproduce this lecture without the assistance of any notes or anything. Others of you are taking physical notes. see a few of you shooting some screenshots. By the way, that's perfectly acceptable. In fact, we're going to go the extra mile. Where's my wife hiding? Oh, there she is. Sonia actually has a, um, a sheet here 
She's going to pass it around. And uh, if you want all the PowerPoint slides, it'll be a PDF, you know, a smaller file that'll have it'll be a handout. If you want electronic handouts from all my lectures, you sign up there. We will also um, give you a special bonus, and that is uh, we'll put you on our resource mailing list. By the Lord's grace, we hope within a month to be out with a new book. It's Natural uh, Strategies for High Blood Pressure, and you'll be among the first to hear about that. We always send out special uh, offers to those that are on the mailing list. So if you want to be on our mailing list and get the handouts, go ahead and, and put your name on there. And when we finish the seminar, every slide that I showed, we will put in this. My wife is raising her hand because I'm probably saying something wrong. What am I doing? Okay, so Sonia's reminding us of how the internet works. And that is every time I was just speaking, um, I was speaking to a, an evangelical group in Pennsylvania just a few weeks ago. Uh, that was an amazing story. Maybe we'll talk about that some. But we were doing a series of health lectures and uh, speaking about some of these biblical principles and how they interface. And we got a lot of people who wanted to be on our mailing list. And we went home. We entered all those addresses into the database, sent out the handouts. And what do you think happened? Yeah, a number of them came back. And, uh, you know, so you go back. We, we have a space for your phone number. So uh, if Sonia calls you, you know, she's very hospitable and very gracious, but it wasn't necessarily that she just developed such rapport with you here because you say, well, I don't even think I met her. She's not calling you for a social visit. She's calling to say, was your email address Barbie1 or was it, you know, Barbie I or, what, you know, what is, uh, what is that? We, we've tried, you know, three different versions. No, it was Bobby. That's a, it's an O, not an A. And, you know, anyway, okay, you get, you get the message. Okay, did I discharge my duties uh, well enough? Okay, so we're making Sonia's life easier, hopefully as well as your own. Well, let's speak now about some of these uh, things we can do to decrease our risk of infectious illnesses. And this is another very, very important concept. It's called infective dose. So you're getting a little microbiology class here today. And it really is relevant to lifestyle practices. And again, these, some of these things we don't often talk about. We're doing health lectures, but they're very important. Because um, even if you never have cancer, heart disease, diabetes, or high blood pressure, lifestyle is very important when it comes to these infectious diseases. And one of the things you can do is decrease the likelihood of being exposed to a critical amount of viruses or bacteria that are necessary to cause illness. Let's look at this example. This is uh, looking at the amount of microbes bacteria or viruses that it takes to cause clinical illness. The first one being illustrated is something called Campylobacter jejuni. Okay? Campylobacter. How many of you know that you've had a case of Campylobacter in the past? Any of you? Okay, I see a few of you raising your hands. The odds are that every one of you in this room has had Campylobacter at some time in your life. The statistics are that roughly 2 million Americans every year have Campylobacter. This is an infectious bacterial illness. You typically get it from your food. And, uh, you know, if you're having fellowship meals at your church and you have someone in your church who is, didn't uh, listen to my series on natural strategies for infectious diseases, they may not be uh, all that hygienic. 
and they might have shared with you some of those campylobacter. Now you say, Dr. DeRose, you're talking about the power of social connectedness. Now you're scaring us from going to fellowship meals. As a young Seventh-day Adventist, I was uh, concerned about some of these things. And one of the elders who helped, uh, helped me to appreciate some of the great Bible truths that we value, he said, you know, David, it's not without reason that we pray before we eat. Okay? Really. So uh, we want to cooperate with God, but you don't live like the weight of the whole infectious disease universe is on your shoulders. By the way, God graciously did not give us microscopic vision. Really? I mean, it's just scary to, to look at what's on our skin even. And uh, when I sometimes treat people who have uh, skin infections, they say, well, where did I get this terrible thing? Well, it's all around us. That's where you came in contact with that dermatophyte, that fungus that's now affecting your skin. Well, back to Campylobacter. Most all of us have had this. We called it the stomach flu. Uh, it's not really influenza at all. We got it from something we ate. Maybe you called it food poisoning. How many bacteria does it take to get you clinically sick with Campylobacter? You say, well, wow, that's a range, 500 to 10,000. Why such a huge range? Well, one of the big things is we call it nonspecific immunity. We have certain aspects of our immune system that target all microbes. And then there's other parts of your immune system that are very specific that target certain things, like your immunoglobulins, the proteins that attack specific germs. But nonspecific immunity, one of our first lines of defense is the acid in your stomach. Now, I find it very interesting. I'm, uh, as Vicki mentioned, right now I work part-time in a rural health clinic in an area of California that's underserved. There's a, a desperate need for physicians there. And uh, most the, the people that are there are not considered the prime patients by the average physician. So most of them have nothing in the way of financial resources, and uh, they often don't have very good lifestyles. Many of them don't act all that interested at first in changing their lifestyle. And uh, so in this particular context, I see a lot of interesting medical problems that you don't see in other settings. But I notice that many of the patients that come to me, they are already on a class of drugs, one or more classes of drugs that do something to their stomach acid. They actually are largely largely shutting down their stomach acid production, whether they're taking something for heartburn or something else. And by the way, there are natural strategies that can help you address these things. And uh, many of these drugs, the strongest in these class, now even the experts are saying you shouldn't be on these for your whole life. But when you try to stop them, you have a recurrence of heartburn or other problems. Now, if you have serious digestive problems, if you have precancerous changes in the esophagus, like we call Barrett's esophagus, if you have other problems, you may need to be on some of these things long term. But many people get dependent on these, and what it's doing, one of the things it's doing, is it's wiping out your ability to fight germs that come into your mouth. So you're at much higher risk of getting Campylobacter than the person next to you in the same household because you're taking that particular pill. You following along with me? 
Now, I realize what's going to happen in these meetings. You know, we've only got roughly five hours together, and the, this particular hour is, uh, you know, is slipping away from us. I guess it's actually officially an hour and 15 minutes, right? So I know we're going to touch on more topics than we'll be able to cover in the series. So here, here's what I'm doing, uh, just so you know. I'll be very transparent. What we're going to do, I'm going to try when I finish at 2.15, I'm going to quickly close up my stuff because I know you've got another presentation. Aren't you, Evelyn, aren't you doing some practical stuff right in this very venue? Okay, and that starts at what time? 2.30, okay? Okay, we're finished at 3.15. Yeah, I'm still getting my, my time zone straight. I live in California. So three, I, I finally changed my, my watch to Eastern time. I was really in trouble before I did that. But um, so, so what's going to happen is at 3.15 I will finish. I'll quickly pack up my stuff so Evelyn can start getting set up. And I am going to head over to the Adventist Book Center. And there's a table back there too. Oh, you have the materials back there. Okay, well, I can head back there, too. I was, the, uh, the thought was that we would try to get out of the way here so you could get set up. And uh, maybe I'll go back there for 15 minutes if you have any questions about the resources, 10 or 15 minutes. And then I'm going to head to the ABC. And they have, they have the resources there as well. I think they said they don't have the free resources here. Is that true? They don't have the Ebola book and some of the booklets and things? Um, maybe they do have those, too. Okay. Okay, okay, so they have them back there. They, they had a question about whether they were going to bring those or not. But so they have the resources there. And the free resources, we have the, uh, the Ebola book that, and again, if you, if you buy $50 of, of my materials, you can either have the Ebola book or you can have two booklets that go along with the Mark series. So uh, some of you may have seen the series that uh, Pastor John Bradshaw and I did for It Is Written. We did a series of five programs and some of the themes in this uh, Gospel of Mark, and John and I wrote a couple of uh, booklets that go along with that, so uh, we have those as well. Okay, so uh, Evelyn, right on top of things. So these are some of the things we've been mentioning. So uh, the Healing Insights uh, DVD series, and then um, this is the book, Evading Ebola, and it'll go into detail. We'll, we'll touch on a number of more things before we finish. And then if you already have that book or say, I'm still not interested in infectious diseases, these two booklets um, actually go along with the Gospel of Mark series. If you're doing the series in a church, these things you can share with people that you might want to invite to the series. So one is on fasting and prayer, some insights from the Gospel of Mark, and the other is on dealing with stress. Okay? So those are, uh, those are free resources that when you purchase some of the other materials, you can uh, get those. Well, why I mention that tangent is some of you are going to want to talk with me about Digestive diseases, we don't have a lecture on that. Afterwards, whether it's back here, these, back here, if you have something short you want to ask me, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that as they're getting set up up front. But then I'll run over to the ABC probably for about an hour. We'd like to encourage you to stay by and for Evelyn's presentation, but I know some of you are not going to be able to sleep tonight unless you ask that burning question and go through your entire medical history with me. So I, I, I'll, I'll be, no, really. When I come to a camp meeting, I'm happy to visit. And you can, anytime, if you see me at lunch, you know, just grab me in one of the meetings, um, you know, not during the meeting, hopefully, but, you know, grab me and we can, you know, we can talk. So I'm planning to be here through the end of camp meeting. So even if you don't see me the first few days, because uh, I'm trying to get this book finished and off to the layout people, the hypertension book, 
I might have a lower profile the next few days, but anyway, we want to be available. The ABC will be one venue and a short opportunity in the back uh, right after the meeting. So let's come back to the point here. What I'm wanting you to notice is if you can decrease, here's the message, if you can decrease your exposure, let's say you're one of those people who would take 10,000 Campylobacter bacteria to get the infection. And let's just say you went to the local farm stand and the guy who picked your uh, cantaloupe in California there, where I live, shipped it all the way here. We grow cantaloupe here too. But wherever it was grown, was not really hygienic, and there's Campylobacter all over that. Or maybe there were deer in the area that you're following along, or poultry. Or when you wash that fruit off, you're decreasing the number of bacteria that you're being exposed to. The other big place where this makes an impact is with hand washing. The Centers for Disease Control have a whole section talking about hand washing because it's so powerful. By the way, one of the main ways people get the flu is, you know how? from unwashed hands. It doesn't have to be shaking hands. I notice some of you, when you come to a door that's shut, you actually open the door using your, your hands. That's right. And you touch that same doorknob that the person before you touched who was sick. And then you scratched your eyes. By the way, do you know how we give people experimentally viral illnesses? Yeah, we inoculate your eyes or your nose with a virus. And by the way, we don't have to do that in the lab. Many of you do it all the time. Whether you're shaking hands or handling things, and then what do you do? You rub your eyes or scratch your nose, and you have just given yourself those viruses. So hand washing decreases the spread of disease, not just in the kitchen, but in your daily practices. Okay? Um, I'll give you, like I said, if you want the slides, there's more details. But here's the point. Even with diseases like Ebola, there's evidence that inanimate objects, in this uh, particular case study, like a contaminated blanket, can transmit some of these illnesses. Well, you say, Dr. DeRose, that's why I'm so careful in my kitchen. But how about other kitchens? Or how about when you go out to eat? Now we've got to talk about some other things, not just hygiene, because we're going to be exposed in this world to bad stuff. What other things can we do that strengthen our immune system? We want to talk about this. And actually, this is another interesting study on Ebola. This is from one of the infectious disease journals. This was really another fascinating study. This is back in 1995, a year before the previous study I showed you. And they looked at a village, people that lived around Ebola, and they found that 10% of 161 villagers actually showed evidence of past Ebola infection, but none of them had any history of ever having Ebola. And on top of that, none of them, none of them even had a family member who did. And only five out of the 15 who were proven to have had inapparent infection with Ebola even knew of anyone who had the disease. And I'm just throwing this out here to help you see that many of us have survived a variety of serious infectious illnesses, and we just, we just have never had a doctor that wanted to run up a you know, tens of thousands of dollar bill running all kinds of esoteric serologies, we call it, running to see, have you ever been exposed to this disease or that disease? I mean, you'd be scared to death, right? Really? I've been exposed to all those things? 
By the way, you've heard of the Epstein-Barr virus? Have you heard of it? Cause of mononucleosis, and uh, some people are worried about some of the connections with long-term fatigue. It also is uh, connected with a disease that we don't typically see in America called Burkitt's lymphoma. But the Epstein-Barr virus, odds are um, probably 95% of us in this room have had Epstein-Barr virus infection. So if you were to test your blood, you'd find that you had that disease. But you say, well, I never had mono, Dr. DeRose. No, your body fought it off with an inapparent illness. So what can we do? How can we get, as we're closing this, uh, this segment of our five-part series, what can we do to help our immune system work better? Well, we talked some about nonspecific immunity. Let me give you one other. It's not just the acid in your stomach. It's not only decreasing your exposure, but it's keeping your respiratory lining healthy. If you live in Michigan in the winter, and I lived here for a couple years, uh, my roots are in Chicago, spent some time in Minnesota and other uh, cold places like uh, you folks live in, it gets pretty dry in the winters, doesn't it? The air does not hold much humidity, you know, when it's zero out or colder, even when it's 10 or 20 out. And so what happens is your respiratory lining cells can become relatively dehydrated, sometimes just using a vaporizer. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. A physician friend of mine taught me. He said, you know what? You've got great people here in Michigan. They're teaching you all kinds of wonderful things you can do with the crock pot, but always have a backup crock pot in case your main one breaks down and, um, and use the backup one as your humidifier. You know, the, the humidifiers that you buy, they have these small parts and they can get mold in them all, but I've never seen a crock pot get mold in it. And you put a little bit of water in there, put it on low heat, put it in your room, and that can keep the room more humidified and actually has, uh, has been shown to help decrease your risk of infectious diseases. Give you another uh, illustration here from the, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Stress, fear, and immunity. They're connected. We know that stressful situations can ramp up the very hormones that undermine your immune system. And by the way, in the research studies, one of the ways they ramp up stress hormones is they have people watch a stressful video. Are you aware that most television viewing, most of the stuff that's streamed on the Internet actually raises stress hormone levels? Pretty interesting, huh? It's undermining your immune system. Not only did it undermine your immune system to watch that you know, three-hour uh, movie, but you watched it from 10 o'clock to 1 in the morning, which uh, we'll find uh, before we finish that sleep also is very important for uh, immune system health. By the way, one of the most stressful things that anyone can do, at least for many people, is giving a speech in public. So if I succumb to illness this week, you'll know it's all your fault. Okay. No, not really. Okay, this is, uh, at this point in my life, this is not the most stressful thing, uh, at least when I'm here with my friends. If I find out you're not my friends in this week, it may become more stressful, okay? But uh, anyway, so these, uh, these things have been studied in the research, raise stress hormones, decrease your immune system, increase the risk of infectious illnesses. Well, here's a dramatic example of fear from Mark's Gospel. This is not the Sea of Galilee, but it's supposed to be illustrating something similar. And it says in Mark 4, that same day when the even was come, he, Jesus, said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. 
And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, Jesus, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And then there's this great storm. You know the story that rises up on that Sea of Galilee. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And what is the question that ultimately the disciples ask Jesus? That's right. Master, don't you care? We're about to die. Now, were these a bunch of landlubbers who'd never been in a boat before? A number of them were fishermen, right? So they'd been out there in the sea. They are fearing for their lives. How many are fearing for their lives? Yeah, 12. 12 are fearing for their lives, but there are 13 in the boat. What's the 13th one doing? Jesus sleeping on the boat. And uh, when Jesus quiets the storm, he then turns to the disciples and says to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And it says, it's an interesting commentary. When he asked them, why are you so fearful? What did they do when he asked them that? Said they, yeah, they were, got more afraid. <laughs> they feared exceedingly and they said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So here's the question. How could Jesus face the same stressors as the 12 disciples and be so calm? How could he do it? You're saying it's faith. He was trusting in his heavenly Father. We look at a number of things um, in the, uh, the Gospel of Mark series. We talk about this difference between stressors, the things that come at you and how you respond to them. But we also introduce in that uh, early in Mark's Gospel, could Jesus have understood the prophecy of Daniel 9, which actually specified when he would die? And as we go through the Gospel of Mark, one of the themes that comes up a number of times is Daniel's book. And uh, it just so happened, this group of community people, when we first did that series, we said, you know, eight weeks, we're all finished studying the Gospel of Mark. You know, we could just stop right here. Do you want to study anything else? You know what they said they wanted to study? They wanted to study the book of Daniel. So that's what we did. So um, as you're looking to try to, to lead people in your churches to a greater engagement with the Scriptures, I'm, I'm telling you, there are all kinds of connections between health and the Bible. And this is just one resource that we have for you. There's other things out there that can be a blessing. Let's talk about some of the other things. Besides avoiding stress, exercise very important for an optimal immune system. And uh, this is a study actually done by an Adventist researcher, Dr. David Neiman there at uh, Appalachian State University, published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, just really relatively few years ago in 2011, over 1,000 individuals in their community, they identified them, followed them over the worst time of year, the heart of winter and spring, the cold and flu season, and what did they find? If you want to decrease your risk of clinical illness with these things, you cut it in half by exercising on a regular basis, five or more days per week, compared to those that were basically not exercising, less than or equal to one day a week. So don't say, but Dr. DeRose, every Sunday I exercise for six hours. I get my six hours of exercise in. That really uh, did not do as well as those who were doing it on a daily basis. So daily physical activity. Now, how many of you find that winter is the easiest time to exercise? Most people tell me it's one of the harder times for them. Now, I always liked winter, uh, especially after 
Um, someone inspired me when I was living in Minnesota to take up cross-country skiing. Then instead of getting upset when it snowed in May, I could be happy that I could still use my cross-country skis one more time, okay? So we don't get to do that too much in Northern California. We're up at about 4,000 feet where we live, so we do get snow up there, but uh, not a lot of cross-country skiing there. Nor ice skating, by the way. Uh, you know, if you want to invite me to uh, Michigan in the winter, just you know, make sure you got a pair of ice skates for me. I still think that's probably my favorite, uh, my favorite activity. Grew up doing a lot of ice skating in the, the Great Lakes region. So um, I was telling someone they were complaining about the winters here, and I said, "But you're lucky; you get to ice skate, you know, all winter." Somehow that didn't seem to resonate with them. Okay. Well. Uh, at the same time that exercise is good for the immune system, over-exercise is harmful. So uh, as we were, uh, just before we left, we had some uh, family visiting us. We took them up into the uh, Sierras there. We live in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains there in Northern California. And uh, we saw a sign up. There's a big uh, race coming up this uh, weekend, I think it is. Maybe next weekend, a couple weeks. And people will be running 100 miles from the Lake Tahoe area down to Auburn, California. There's something called the Western States Trail. They're going to be doing that in less than 24 hours. Um, instead of calling this uh, uh, a wise demonstration of fitness principles, we would call it, uh, at a minimum, putting it very mildly, over-exercise. These people will be tanking their immune systems and increasing the risk of infection. This has been written about in the research literature. This is looking at natural killer cells, and it shows you that if you do vigorous exercise, even a couple hours, really pushing yourself, this doesn't mean you know, you're you know, doing a nice walk for a couple hours. This is pushing yourself. These are athletes, and they're actually monitoring their natural killer cells, and these natural killer cell levels they drop by about 50%, approaching 50% within four hours, and those levels stay down there. They're not even back up to normal 24 hours after the vigorous exercise. So if you say, well, I don't exercise, Dr. DeRose, because I always get sick, you're probably doing too much. You say, but all I did is walk out to the mailbox. Well, just walk halfway to the mailbox. You know, build your, build your tolerance up, okay? Diet and Ebola. By the way, diet has a huge impact on the immune system. Uh, we quote Dr. Nedley, actually, in, uh, in the book, Evading Ebola. Dr. Nedley uh, basically said if Leviticus 11 had been followed, Ebola would never have entered the human food chain. And I have to agree with him from the research I've seen. Vitamins, very important for the immune system. Vitamin A and vitamin A-related compounds, very important for a healthy immune system. So how many of you think in the back, in addition to my books, we've got the Dr. DeRose Certified Vitamin A Supplement? How many of you think we have that? No, we don't have that because actually the research is very interesting. Vitamin A and beta carotene in particular, actually higher levels of beta carotene, better immune function, less cancer. When they actually studied it and started giving people supplements of beta carotene, what do you think they found? That's right, they got more cancer. Because when you take these supplements, you, the best explanation is you're upsetting the natural balance of retinoids, these compounds of which... Uh, Beta carotene is just one, and you upset that balance, and your immune system is actually harmed. So we don't recommend you take a bunch of supplements to enhance your immune system. We recommend you go to Evelyn's cooking class, 
and you uh, learn some more ways to use those healing plant foods that God has loaded. We'll talk more about this this week with these healing phytochemicals, these plant chemicals that enhance health. Yes, quick question. What about juicing? Oh, we'll have to talk about that sometime this week. Thanks. You do not miss the talk that I'm going to give when I talk about juicing. I don't know when that is because it's not in my notes, but I might even sneak something in on it, okay? So we will talk about that and uh, definitely make sure we make time for it. You hold me to, hold me to task. If, uh, if by Friday you haven't heard me talk about juicing, we'll try to sneak it in the hypertension lecture. By the way, diet, animal products, worsen immunity, tends to raise stress hormone levels, tends to lower our risk or lower our immune system and increase our risk of infectious diseases. Caffeinated beverages, not your friends when it comes to optimal immune system, nor is alcohol. We talk about this in detail in the book and in the video that we have. We'll talk more about alcohol in this series. Um, I think, uh, let me just give you this one slide, because another disease that relates to the immune system is um, cancer. And this is uh, one of many studies now that's uh, basically telling us if you want to keep your immune system optimally healthy, not only does alcohol downregulate the immune system, alcohol itself can increase your risk of certain cancers because of direct chemical effects on your tissues like the digestive tract. But these researchers, speaking about a number of these cancers, the cancer risk increases with every drink, so even moderate amounts of alcohol such as a small drink each day, increases the risk of these cancers. I'll show you this slide again, and we'll give it to you in greater context as we go through the series. Well, our time is just about out. Uh, I want to thank you for coming out to this uh, first in our series of five presentations. How many of you know what we're going to speak about next? Actually, in less than 24 hours, at 2 o'clock tomorrow, with the Lord's blessing. What is scheduled? Anyone know? You don't know? You don't have your booklets there? You don't have a list of the seminars? There's a whole list that goes through the different topics. Okay, so you guys are making me track this down. I know Friday it's hypertension. I know Thursday is diabetes. I know Wednesday is brain health. What's Tuesday? What is it? Longevity. Okay, so for those of you that want to live longer and better, you want to come back tomorrow. Those of you who think you're already old enough... Um, <laughs> Now listen, if you're here, the Lord is not done with you, okay? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we have heard today. Help us to learn to apply these principles to our lives and effectively share them with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.